welcome to the season 2 of the in your shoes podcast the podcast aims to get into the shoes of a person like you and me and learn from their career stories and experiences through this conversation we will uncover insights and pearls of wisdom which will hopefully inspire you and expand your thinking we're doing something different this season apart from a full length show we will also expand on topics of interest that emerge during the conversation these will be distributed as special episodes which are short targeted and provide you with the context when you are short on time let us get right into it so on the show today i have diego the man behind the music production i in the machine He's an ingenious music producer that incorporates the entire surroundings including cities in his dance numbers and I have been blown away with his music and I'm already a big fan of his work. I'm so excited to have Diego Ain the Machine as a guest today. Welcome to the podcast Diego. Hello Vivek, thank you very much for having me. So for our podcast listeners uh, Diego, can you just share a little bit about yourself like where you come from and how has been the work that you are doing so far carried you to the current state the current work that you produced okay uh, so it's funny because the other day i was thinking about this subject where i'm from and and this lyric came to my mind something like my body was born in brazil but my soul is lost all over the place <laughs> Uh I was born in Brazil but then I came to to Europe in 2003 more specifically Ibiza and then I spent some years in Spain uh quite enough to make me also half Spanish <laughs> and um and now I'm based in Berlin like since 6 years more or less and my work basically has always been music and yeah i developed this kind of a uh, very specific and quick way of making electronic music where i use mostly the sounds of my body voice objects and everything that surrounds me basically <laughs> yeah this is such an amazing experience for those who haven't got a chance i will have the links of the brilliant pieces that and the machine diogo the man the produced and i it's it's amazing so you, i think you will get hooked on to it so diogo you mentioned about this unique techniques that you developed uh to produce these music scores can you share a little bit about history like how did you get started with this what led to having you think about producing music in such a way Uh, I think this is a mix of different elements. I think uh, one of them probably the most relevant is like my m- biggest like my punkiest side <laughs> the punkiest side of my uh, personality always had this kind of uh habit of questioning everything. I think I was a kind of very heavy kid always asking why this why that and now it's funny now my daughter is doing that. <laughs> And I think one of the questions I did to myself when I started to make music and work with it and but well I always do in general but in, in this very specific case and I started to study and go through like the more formal um structures you know and 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 yeah the whole academic thing even though I didn't have a completely formal study but I I did study So in this moment I start to question why music has always been done in the same way It has always been done using musical instrument like how could I do music in a different way if I would be as radical as not using any musical instrument what would be left there you know? I think that's one of the first elements to to awake this vision of course this vision also it's boosted by the search that i always had of trying to find my own sound and my own sound identity and what is also fun is that i think the biggest part of my career i always been look looking for to create it's funny now i start to realize that for many years my goal 
was to create something original, something authentic. And it's funny how in many times uh, this was a priority over the quality of the music or even the sense of music in itself. You know? But now that, for example, uh, I've already kind of developed this language and I have a control of the process, I'm going backwards in the sense of, okay, now I know how I make music, now I know what is my sound identity, it's time to prioritize good music, you know, and, and music that is nice to listen, nice to dance, it depends on the situation. And I think this is kind of the basics of how and why I developed this vision and this way of making music. Fantastic. Fantastic. You mentioned a term called sound entity. Like uh, a lot of our audience may not understand that, but can you can you share how you feel and what do you what do you understand about this concept called sound entity? I, yes, sound identity. 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 Yes, sound identity. Uh, maybe the listeners they don't know exactly the meaning of it, but they definitely know um, the the action of it, the, the the presence of it. For example, I always use this example. If you listen two bars of a song of Santana or Jimi Hendrix or Britney Spears or Mozart or you name it, you know Frank Sinatra, <laughs> Miles Davis. Um, most of the people will recognize them, you know? So for me, sound identity is this sensation and this experience of listening to just a few bars of the music and recognizing the, the artist, recognizing the creator, you know? And that's for me, sound identity is to, was to, is to create a, a character, a sound character, which makes you be your your sound, your music very recognizable, you know. That's for me the concept of sound identity. That's at, at least is what I wanted to transmit when I use and say sound identity. So what I understand is, is essentially something that people can connect you with, right? So that they they listened the few beats to it and they said, yeah, this is I am the machine. Exactly, exactly. It's like when you see the apple bite it, you know that, what is that? You know, if you see, uh, if you see the, 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 the swash, you know what it is, you know? If you see the three lines, you know what it is. If, if I, I sing, cha, cha da da cha da da you probably know that, you know, you know, like there, there are all these kind of, yeah, let's say marks, no, or brands or, or sound identities or characters, no? characteristics that, that defines no? the work of an artist or the visual presence of a brand. Right. Like visual identity, that would be the, the the very similar description to it. Right. So, you mentioned that you had to go through a journey, right? A process to develop this sound identity. And uh, you mentioned something very interesting that you wanted to be original and authentic and that sometimes... Uh, you had to prioritize being authentic over the music quality, right? And that was your initial time. And then you, over time, developed this confidence and the rigor to be able to create that sound identity for yourself. Can you share a little bit about this journey on how did you start working on that identity? What kind of challenges did you face while you were working on this identity for yourself? Um, very good question. Um... Uh, the first part, I think that it was the, the technical aspect of it, you know, because I remember when I had the vision like, oh, I know a path, I have a vision of a path which might lead me to, to a new place, to an authentic place, to an original sound or way of making music. I'm not going to use any musical instrument. 
And I remember the next morning or the next moment where I kind of came up to, okay, now let's go for it. I had this moment of, oh, okay, and now how I'm going to make music if I don't use any musical instruments, right? And then I started to gather information from my past. I did like a study in Brazil uh, where I, I learned techniques of body percussion and then also how to use garbage to create musical instruments. And, but then when I started to investigate these kind of things, they had this kind of, or they sound like these percussion groups of objects, or they were kind of a cappellas, or there are even groups of body percussion. But for me, they all had, they were, for all of these visions, it was missing something that was the electronic music. For me, it was very important that I didn't want to, my body to sound like a normal body. I, did, I wanted my body to be as powerful as a drum kit. I didn't want to sound like an a cappella group. I want my voice to sound like a synthesizer bass, as low as an electronic bass line. Or I wanted to do harmonies, but not sound like an a cappella group, but sound like a a synthesizer or an electronic piano or electric piano, you know? And I wanted to use the objects as they are, as they sound originally, but I wanted to give different depth of layers of sounds to it, you know, like as a, as a sound designer would do, you know, like, okay, this is the original sound, now how I make this sound as an electronic element? So I think the first challenge was the technical aspect of it. How can I amplify the sound of my body to make it sound as powerful as a drum kit, you know? Uh, how can I process my voice and the object to make them sound as I have this vision? So I started to investigate a lot around microphones, preamplifiers, um, effects, equalizers, you know. And then the second challenge is, okay, I found the right microphones, I found the right setup, but this all was designed to work in a very safe environment, which is the studio, right? Yeah. How, how can I take this to a stage where is everything super wild, volume is super loud because you have like super big system, so all these microphones can feed noise into what you're recording. And maybe you, you turn on an effect that amplifies even more the volume, so you have to start to have feedback, you know, like. And yeah, so then the second step was to transform this vision that was working already in the studio, in a safe environment, how it would work on the stage in a very wild environment. That was the second challenge. And then the third and last, that was the one that I was saying is, was because my original goal, because my, my, my main goal was to create an original and fresh experience for the eyes and for the ears of the, of the audience, uh, I always had to try to find different ways or new ways to do things, you know? And sometimes these new ways, they are not always the most digestible uh, music, the most popular or mainstream kind of music language, because exactly if you want to offer something that is fresh, that is new, it cannot be the typical, right? And, and this process, yeah, for example, a very simple example, it's a harmony, you know, you can use very simple chords that are very, let's say, international to say some way, or you can make them a little bit more complicated and add notes that could give them a more jazz feeling than maybe a pop song, you know, even though they're the same chords. But for the ears, they're going to sound differently. And if you add this jazz chord in the context of electronic music, where they, theoretically they wouldn't be there. So all this kind of mix and, and try and errors were the ones that are trying to explain now, no? right? In the sense of, yeah. So th there was this period where, okay, I'm pushing all the boundaries and all the limits, like making music with sounds of the city, using uh, a, a door on the street, a gate on the street to make a drum kick, or using a huge metal statue to create a bass line, and all these kind of things. 
to to create this fresh audiovisual experience for the audience, right? But of course, in this uh, try and error, in this process of investigation, you not always find the best balance of originality and the music that could be heard in the car while you're traveling, for example. You know? It's maybe it works perfectly when you're watching it, but not perfectly when you're listening only. You know? Maybe when you don't have the visual element, it loses its power. So that was the last challenge was like how to overcome the process and start to create, overcome the process and the language in itself and start to create good music for that specific situation that it is created. Like music to chill and music to study, or it's music to party, it's music for Friday night, Saturday night, you know, or or it is a nice song or a nice cover, you know. And that's where I am right now, uh, investing now time in create good, nice music that caress the ear of the audience, independently of the process. Because now I know I sound like I'm in the machine. I don't need to worry anymore to push the boundaries in that sense. Because it, even if I try to completely copy a song and do a cover, it will never sound like the same because I'm using different audio sources. I'm using my body, a voice, and objects, you know? Brilliant. I love, the, I love your answer. I think for me, this whole process around uh, taking the step of figuring out the technical aspects of it and then figuring out the vision that you have, how would it work in a actual environment, uh, not just a studio environment, and then moving on to experimentation. You know, I, I love the whole trial and error aspect of it. I have a follow-up question to that, Diego. Yeah. Uh, and it might sound very funny, but I, I would love to know how you think about it. So for, there are two parts to it. The first part is, as you experimented with different forms and you finally figured out that, yes, this is the sound identity I have, how do you, how do you live on that? How do you stay on that? How do, how do you say, yeah, oh, now I have the sound identity? So what is that state that led you to believe that you have reached a stage where you can actually go out to people and they can connect and they say, aha, this is I and the machine. So what was that stage for you when you realized that you have achieved a sound identity for yourself? That's the first part of the question, but I would love to first know about it and then we can go to the yeah, other Yeah, part. let's do this because I might get lost in this one and then you do the second. <laughs> sure, sure. So uh, it's a very good question because it's funny. In the sense of the sound, I always kind of knew that I was on, into something special because I always listened, listened to a lot of music and I always investigated a lot of music and what is out there. And, and even as simple, simple as doing Google search, you know, and, and you see how things are presented. And so, yeah, I, in the sense of the creative part, because I had a very clear vision, I only needed to make it to, to get to the, to the point where it was there for real. Like I made it, like literally I created, I recorded the track. From that moment on, I knew I was into something special and, and I was into something that I was looking for. So, um, yeah, I think that the first moment was when I recorded the first song using this system, you know, which I think it was, I don't remember actually what, what was my first release, but if I, what comes to my mind now, I think it's a cover of Britney Spears, Toxic. Wow. <laughs> I definitely did something before, but which I remember like, okay, this this is my sound identity, I think is this. It's on Spotify and it's in my, it is in, uh, yeah, in my, in my Spotify, people can listen to it. I'm in the machine on Spotify, this song is there. But then I think very after that, I released my first album as I'm in the machine. 
And that was the consolidation of the sound in the studio. That was the part where, okay, I know how to record this, even though it has evolved like a light year because I learned a lot of techniques and a lot of tricks after that, right? Um, so, yeah, I think if I talk chrono chronologically, these are the two kind of highlights, but I think I because when I created Ainda Machine, I was already like a professional musician. I was already being nominated to Latin Grammys and worked and recorded with a lot of people and artists. I somehow was already out on the streets. So that like presenting to the crowd, I think was always there since the development. Actually, I have videos of what was before Ainda Machine since 2004, the first video I did of what became Ainda Machine was in 2003 or 4 in Valencia, you know, making music with a toothbrush, <laughs> you know, like, and my body. And actually, it's funny that now that I, I remember, like, now that I'm talking about this, Vivek, it's super funny because, you know what? Actually, before the studio, I went live. And the only way to go live at that time, because there was no looping machines, there was no all this technology that there is nowadays, the only way to go live was to record the tracks in the studio and then record the correspondent images to those audios. So, for example, if I do a, a rhythm with my body, I would record the rhythm in the studio, then would record the video doing exactly that uh, move, right? So I would have kind of a, a video uh, with the song of the background song which I would go with DVDs to the places to play gigs. And like, like a, a singer, like a, like a karaoke singer, I would arrive to the gigs, to the places with the DVD and say to the people, place the DVD. And I would do the live show on top of the <laughs> DVD. So I would have myself projecting the screen, doing the bass tracks, and then I would sing and do the solos and the funny objects on top of it. That was in 2004, we're talking about. Actually, and then like the, the, the Britney Spears, actually 2010, 11, and my first album is 2014, but the project, the first recordings of the projects are from the end of 2003, beginning of 2004. These videos are online somewhere. <laughs> People wouldn't recognize me because I have long hair and piercing in the nose and all this kind of thing. Things you do when you're very young. <laughs> so yeah i hope i answered the first part of the question i'm not sure yes yes you did you did so um i like the aspect around remembering the first cover that you did of britney spears and uh, i think you, i also got it like you have also evolved over a period of time right so as you a learn lot. new techniques hmm. a lot and also musically because for example my first album has all kinds of genres and music styles one, because personally, I love all kinds of music. Secondly, because I found it was funny and cool to, to show that this way of making music, this sound wasn't a style in itself, but a way of making music. Like Bach, when he discovered this new tuning, no? the, the, what became kind of the, our piano tuning, our like Western tuning which before this tuning that Bach made very popular, to play a song in a different key, people would need to retune the instrument. You couldn't play all the keys in the same instrument. You need to retune string by string or whatever was your instrument, right? To change keys. And this new instrument, like the mix of the clavier, né? The, the piano, the grandfather of the piano, and most importantly, this way of, tuning it allowed him to play in the same instrument all the keys right so to to demonstrate that he created like 24 pieces of song in different keys i forgot the name of the, the of the work but it's like the the 12 valses and and allegretto so he created kind of a, a group of uh, of work that was like okay guys with this work, I'm showing to you how you can play valse in all the keys, how you can play an allegretto in all the keys, right? So also inspired by that a little bit, my album was like, okay, I'm going to do a 
hip hop bossa nova. I'm gonna do a house track. I'm gonna do kind of a more drum and bass track. I'm gonna do a more like Jimi Hendrix rock track, all using sounds of the body, voice, and objects, right? And so yes, in the beginning, the first album had this, this all these elements present. The music electronic always been there, but wasn't like the focus, right? And then with the experience of releasing this album and going out in the market, I realized that actually, unfortunately, the market needs to put you in a shelf and there is a, not a shelf of diverse. You know, there is no diversity shelf. You need to be in the rock and roll shelf, you need to be in the pop shelf, you need to be in the electronic shelf. And in the electronic shelf, there are other sub shelves, you know. So from the, the more because of the pressure of the, the market in itself, I decided to, after the release of the first album, to, okay, if I analyze my qualities and my weaknesses and I do a balance between them and analyze which genre or style I would, be, I would feel more comfortable and would be like more talented, I would profit more from the, this balance, what would be, then I realized that electronic music, if I would have to choose only one genre to stay in it, then would be electronic music. And by the time I did this decision, then of course, I, all my energy was focused in this direction. Then I started to learn all the techniques related to this language, no? to this music genre. And then of course, my technical sound aspect grew like crazy because I think if we think from the, the sound perspective, I think electronic music is the one that is the most developed music genre ever, you know, over any other. I'm not talking about composition, not saying that electronic music is better than other genres. I'm just saying about, I'm just talking about the craft in itself, you know, electronic music's 70% easily about the sound and then 30 about the rhythm or 20 about the rhythm and then 10 about the melody, the feeling, the ambience, whatever is the other element, but it's, it's all about the sound. And when you start to study this, you, you learn so much tricks and so much like technical visions and, and techniques that it's amazing. And of course, when I start to focus on that direction, my sound just gave a, like a giant leap, you know. I was telling that because you said, yeah, the, about the, the, the evolution and the, the discovery of new techniques and how like my music and and my sound evolved, right? This was it was what I was explaining right now. Right. I love this saying that you had, you know, there is no diverse shelf. <laughs> I made a yeah, note of it. Yeah, there is no it. diversity <laughs> shelf. You cannot be in, in the, you cannot have an album with reggae, rock, drum and bass. Yeah. Do you, do you think that's a limitation on how we organize music right now that you cannot have yeah, something like diversity? It's horrible. it's horrible. It's horrible mainly for me who I'm, I'm completely out of any shelf. Even trying to do house music, my house music doesn't house sound like other house music tracks, you know? So it's horrible. Every month I release music every month, sometimes two, twice a month in Spotify and all music platforms. And I go every time that I have a release through this process of what is the genre? What is the subgenre? What is the, you know, and it's like, well, I think that it might be and sound like this, but I'm, <laughs> I'm not completely sure, you know? And that's horrible because, because of algorithms and how everything is organized in an automatic way, not passing through a lot of human filters, right? How information is organized and how information is distributed, then, yeah, we're cutting a lot of space for or originality and, and fresh approach to things, you know? The only way we can really have, like, we can have a fresh approach to things nowadays is when somebody belongs to a, an, an existing genre or style and do little change to this genres or style. So they still completely belong to it, but at the same time, they bring something new, right? You cannot co start completely from scratch. That was one of the one of the hard uh, uh, learnings from all this process and all these investigations. Like, if you come with co something completely new, people will not know where to 
grab it and to put it. And sometimes it can even be considered experimental, even though it's not the intention to be, you know. That's beautiful. So what you say here is, and I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing you, is if you're getting someone getting completely new, it's hard to put them into shelves because they may be fluid. They can move around genre. But sometimes people who belong to a particular genre and they they modify, they extend, then perhaps the definition of the genre evolves, right? So it kind of spills across multiple other genres rather than remaining in the genre um, itself. And that hap that's easier for people perhaps who are already in that genre and now they're trying to expand versus someone who's completely new and now trying to kind of work across genre. Exactly, exactly. Or mm -hmm. even come with a new genre completely, you know? Yeah. Because you're just making music with some influence, but you're not following any specific parameters because in the end, it's all about the sound parameters, if you think about it. If you want to do rock, you kind of need a, no a noisy guitar, electric guitar, kind of a noisy drums, and everything else more or less will come. With this, guitar, with this electric noisy guitar and the drums, more or less you know right the Ah, it's rock and roll, even though it's not, not, not rock and roll, you know? And if you do a specific kind of electronic music, you're going to use this drum machine or these synthesizers, and those sounds is what makes that genre sound and be that genre, you know? So as soon as you start to... And that's the, 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 the biggest thing with the In The Machine, because I deny from all these uh, very specific sound elements, I'm already kind of out of all the genres, which is something very good, but also very difficult to, to fit in the shelf. And, and, and well, that's what we've been talking until now. But it's super funny, like, if you want to sound, if you want to do a very specific genre, there are very super clean, um, uh, how you say that, like guidelines for you to go for it. And that's actually the normal process. Normally, you're a teenager and you like rock and roll and you hang out with rock and rollers and well you do rock and roll as everybody did until that that date and because you start to do and you're in a different time you ended up doing a little bit differently and, and you push this genre forward right but because in my case i said no forget about everything that i've i've, I've heard until now and let's start from scratch it's very positive in the development of the identity and your personality, but it can be trickier in the moment of bringing it out to more people in an automated world, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I think I think we can spend hours talking about this whole algorithmic and the automated world and how it's affecting music production. But uh, I want to talk about the second part of the question because I'd love to hear how, how what do you think about it. So you talked about originality uh, a lot and I wanted to understand now you have a sound identity and that sound identity is also evolving as you learn new techniques, as you learn from your previous experiences. When you produce new music, how do you first uh, ensure, I mean, I would not say the word ensure, but how do you know that this new music is now having the same sound identity. So do you start with the identity itself or you produce a music and then say, haha, now can I take this original music and just trying to connect with that identity that you developed for yourself? So what is your process around it? Well, um, so the thing is that, um, let's say you have a band and there is a guitar player, a keyboard player, a drummer, a singer, and a bass player. You say, let's do a song, and then you start to play. Well, you can put effects on all the instruments and etc., but it always will sound like drums, bass, guitar, keyboard, and voices, right? The thing is that what makes uh, what I do differently, and even if I try to copy somebody, it will never be the same, is because I already start from scratch with different sounds. I don't have a drum set, drum kit. I play my body. 
I don't use a bass line. I don't use a bass synthesizer. I don't use a bass instrument. I use the voice. Instead of a keyboard, I use my voice and I put effects on it. And, you know, instead of using percussions, bongos, or, you know, triangles, I use, like, keys or plastic cups or whatever, you know? So, from scratch, the identity is there. And now the, the exercise even that I'm doing is the opposite. It's like, I have a sound, let's say I created my own instruments. So it doesn't matter what kind of music I'm going to play. I have my, my bank of sounds, let's call it like this, or my musical instruments. That sounds like I'm in the machine. Now what I'm doing is, okay, if I want this song to sound more like track techno and the algorithm, for example, listen to it and then I say this is techno, how can I assure that this is going to be, even though I'm not using the typical synthesizers and drum machines using techno, it will sound like techno and will be digested and consumed like techno. So that's where I am now. And that's the only worry I have. It's like, okay, what are the structures of the music, of the techno music, for example, you know? How do they start? How is their intro? How do they treat a kick drum? How do they treat the bass drum, you know, uh, the bass line, and, and these kind of things. As I said before to you, now my process, now as I have my instruments created, I spend a lot of time developing these sounds or these musical instruments. Now they're there. It's like if I open the door of a studio and they're there, hanging there. I just grab them and use them. Now I need to focus on how to make music that people already know it, because I already come with my baggage of originality, you know? So my process is, I study the genres that I'm producing for and try to interiorize these guidelines. Okay, the bass sounds like this, they use this kind of harmonies, the intro journalist starts with the whole song, like starts from the chorus and then goes down, or start piece by piece, or start, you know, like, it's more like what makes a genre a genre. And it's the way this, the, you organize the sounds, is the way you arrange the map of the song, the development of the song, and the kinds of sounds and the particularities of the sounds. You know? Parts, right? Yeah. And you're extracting these guidelines from that. And I think what you're doing is also essentially as an original piece, you are not starting with, you know, standard, typical commodity instruments. You are you're taking these authentic uh, pieces, your body or a physical space, an object. And uh, it's, it's, I think, a mix of reverse engineering and replacing the parts. I think this is very interesting because you are you are doing your inverse engineering and then looking at these parts and saying, okay, for these parts, what is the original piece that you can create and you find in an environment, whether it's your body or it's any other object, right? Yeah, and it's funny because when I think about inverse engineering, I'm thinking about that the normal or, yeah, the normal process as, as, as it is, as I said before, you're young, you belong to a scene, you live that scene every day through the music that you listen, through the, uh, the parties you go, so th through the places and concerts that you go. So you belong to a scene, you love hip hop, you always listen to hip hop. And you know all the tracks of hip hop and all your friends love hip hop and you go to concerts of all the big artists of hip hop, you know, and you start to produce your own hip hop. In the beginning, your hip hop sounds like everybody else. And because of the time, you start to do a lot of hip hop and you start to discover yourself in the process and your hip hop might end up becoming original and authentic, you know. But in my case, it was the opposite. I first investigate who am I, what kind of sound belongs to me? And then it's like, okay, now I know who I am. Like, what kind of music are we gonna do? You know, <laughs> like, and it's it has its positive and its negative sides. You know, as I explained before. This is fantastic. I love that. So I am also mindful of your time. You know, uh, Diego, I don't want to take your entire evening. Uh, I have few more interesting bits that I can get you out first. Um, very obvious question, which you haven't discussed and talked about, but 
what's the story around I'm the Machine, the name itself? Why you took this name of I'm the Machine behind this brand? Yeah, uh, good question. So, Ain actually is my family name. My grandfather was from Syria. So, Ain is a very kind of Arabic name, family name. And uh, since I was a kid, my name is Diego Ain, right? Since I was a kid, uh, Ain had a life on its own. I remember in the school, I wasn't Diego, I was Diego Ain. Uh, like kids discovered that my name was Ain and they just started to call me like that, you know? And then when I started to teach the same, people didn't know I was Diego Ain, but they, when they discovered, they went for it. I don't know, it had some attraction. So since the beginning, since my career, Ain was a name that has been very present in it. Diego Ain is kind of my personal brand, right? So when I started to develop this project, uh, definitely I was the center of it. So I was there, Ain was always there. But then technology starts to take so much presence in it uh, that when I wanted to give a name for the project, which had many names, including like daily music, that was the first name of the project, everyday music, you know, like uh, Musica Cotidiana was the name in Portuguese. You know? um, so when I wanted to give like a, a rebrand the whole project, I, I was there, I in the machine was there, right, very present, but then technology machines, they were super present. And at that time, machine, the machine, and this kind of names, they were not so used as it is nowadays. You know? <laughs> um, so to, to, to represent this very uh, dual essence of the project of the man and the machine, I said, okay, let's call it I in the machine, and the machine I write together is one thing. I didn't want to have a, a visual representation of the project that had three parts, and the machine, it's, no, it's a man, and it's technology, it's the machine, so the machine, and the machine, which gives a lot of headaches, because normal, normally, of course, people write, and the machine, and like, so, <laughs> always complicating my own life, don't know why, but that's how I, I am. <laughs> I love that. Uh, last bits from you, Diego. As a as a music producer, as an original thinker, I would say composer, uh, how do you see the future of music production? What is how do you foresee as you have gone through this so many years of experimentation? How do you envision music being produced in the future? For myself or in general? I would say in general. Okay. Uh, I think we're already seeing the future. I think the future is already here because if you think about and as everything in history will all go back to the same. So before, uh, producing music was something that very few people could because you need a kind of a full studio setup to do it, right? You need the right environment, you need the right machines, the right microphones. and So yeah, it, you had a lot of gatekeepers right but then technology started to develop and now a person with a laptop and a very small sound card and a headphone and a usb microphone you don't even have professional microphone can do music and produce music in anywhere using softwares and a media keyboard you know and i can even see the future that is, this is what I'm saying is the present because it's already here. There are people producing stuff only in the mobile. I forgot the name, but there was this producer in the United States that was doing millions of streams and stuff. And he only used his mobile phone. <laughs> so uh, I think this is the future that is already here. And as I said before, we're going to exploit this to the maximum until the point we're going to realize, you know what? we should go back to the studio, you know, and then we, we start again, you know, like, like everything in this life is kind of, uh, I wouldn't say circle, but spiral, you know, it's, you do the circle when you're going to reach exactly the same point 
instead of reaching that exactly same point, you go one step like above or forward, call it as you want, and the circle start again. It's like the same, but different, you know, like. But I can definitely see this going to something completely mobile and then get tired of it and say, you know what, I'm going back to, there is already this, going back to analog and going back to vinyl, it's, it's already happening, you know. But I think we still have a long road in developing the super portable setup, you know. That's how I see the future and present of music production. And what about yourself? Uh, how do you foresee in the next, I would say, three to five years, how is I and the machine going to change? Like, um, in the more technical aspect, right now I cannot see much change because I just found my sweet spot. But I can definitely see much more collaboration with human beings. I think technically I found my sweet spot. I want to just keep developing it and improving it. But definitely having more human beings involved in it. That would be, I think, the the biggest variation for in the machine. Uh, Diego, the last question, and I, I, I ask this question to almost everyone who I get in the podcast because essentially this show is about in your shoes. So I want to see the world through your shoes in getting in getting into, getting to see the world how you see it how so if you have someone listening to this podcast and they're saying wow i'm i'm so i'm so inspired with what diego is doing i love music but i want to get started doing and composing and going in a direction as i'm the machine is doing how what is your advice for them what is this for what is your advice to people who are getting started and trying to build original music for themselves uh, first thing I would say is, yeah, get inspired by in the machine, but don't try to be in the machine or don't try to be <laughs> anybody else. That's the first rule. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just listen to your own inner voice, even though that sounds very cliche, but that's the only way. There is only one possible truth to you. It's yours, right? That's the first advice. Second one is from my learnings is don't get too far from what already exists because then you might suffer in the process of getting back to it. I would say try to, from the beginning, make part of a, of a collective, of a scene, of a, of, a, yeah, of a movement, you know, of a genre in itself. And then something that is very related to innovation, I work a lot, I, have, I was very lucky that in the machine called a lot of attention of brands and events and corporate corporate world loves in the machine. And I've been working with all the biggest brands since 2014, develop custom made content for brand for them, no? for live events and, and videos. And um, uh, I surfed and I still surf a lot the innovation uh, wave, right? The innovation trend. And I'm bringing all of this to the table because if you want to innovate, I realize that to innovate, you really need to know the conservative perspective of it. You need to know the very nitty gritty details of, of the, what is the, 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 the status quo, you know, what is the, the basics or, or the logic or the established uh, rules or techniques or approach or concepts about what you want to innovate. So, for example, if you want to innovate about electronic music, go study all the history of electronic music. So by knowing that, you know where are going to be the spaces, how much space is left to, to innovate. Where are the holes, right? If you want to innovate about shoes, you need to know everything about what has been done in the whole history of shoes, you know, because that's the only way you're going to be able to bring a new perspective to it, you know? And I say that because many times I went to innovative innovation uh, conferences and events, and I saw that, well, these people, they didn't went very deep about what they're doing because it seems that they're discovering these things on the go or they're, they're bringing 
old trends to to the surface as if they were new or innovative you know so i think that is very important if you want to be original if you want to be innovative you really need to know what has happened before you 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 were there you know so you have basis you have a, a basic knowledge about the subject and that helps you a lot as i said before to to have an overview of the situation and be able to see the gaps and and the weaknesses and yeah so you can develop those parts and bring something new to the table fantastic i i'm so impressed like i think there are so many gems that you shared and uh, especially about going deep knowing the history uh doing the work of really figuring out uh if you want to innovate i think this this completely resonates uh and i can i can guarantee it resonates with so many people who listen to this podcast uh diego it's it's been a pleasure i can't thank you enough for the time that you gave to me to get it on the show and uh it has been amazing i mean listening to you and your thought process and what is your style i think it it's so inspiring and so captivating so thank you so much for taking the time and taking this this opportunity really late in the evening here in berlin talking to me and uh, getting on the show now it was my pleasure vivek thank you very much for inviting me and for actually having these super nice questions it was a very it was a very pleasant conversation i'm very glad that we had it and i hope that you that you're listening you also enjoyed definitely and i i wish you all the best for the next music the music that you're creating and i'm looking forward to uh sharing this with others um and uh yeah and and i'm i'm definitely going to again bug you for sure to come back on the show and talk about other areas <laughs> yeah please i'd love to and i can recommend for you that you're listening to this podcast to look for in the machine a i n the machine in spotify and youtube and instagram and check for yourself what we've been talking about and get to the conclusions if it's worth it or not all this talk <laughs> well absolutely absolutely i'm going to share uh, you know the information about you and going by the people who listen to this and, my, and and i know for sure they will just love it i'm glad i'm glad to hear that vivek thank you very much for having me please subscribe to the podcast in your shoes on the podcast channel including apple podcast spotify overcast pocket cast and others to know more please visit www.inyourshoes.com that is i n u r shoes.com